All right, what's up, church? How you guys doing this morning? Okay, good. Don't mind everybody moving furniture behind me. Okay, we got a big Sunday. We got a lot going on today. Um, how many of you remember the last time that you played the game Jenga? You remember the last time you played the game Jenga? Okay, I don't remember at all. Um, Jenga is one of those games, I feel like most of us, you know, 80, 90% of us in this room, we played Jenga before. Um, but it's one of those games that we all have, like in our closets, but is, the full game's not there. It's like pieces of it because we've lost pieces. Or for us in our house, our kids have gotten to the pieces and they use them as blocks. And they're just like, we have all the pieces in our house, they're just scattered throughout the house, okay? And there's very few left in the box. That's how it is in our house. I don't know if that's the same for you. But um, what is like kind of the thing that we learn about playing Jenga? All right, so that having a good foundation is kind of important, right? Having a strong foundation is important. We learned that sturdy structures are built on strong foundations. And as Christians, our faith, let's say true Christianity, our faith is something that has to be built, okay? It's not something that we just go around and say, you know what, mm, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my faith in this belief. Okay, what makes our belief different than anybody else's beliefs, right? I mean, I mean, it has to be something that is built. And as Christians, our faith is built on a foundation that we call the Bible, right? I mean, this is it. This foundation, we don't have the, if we don't have the Bible, right, then, then how do we know anything about Jesus and what he did? And how do we know that God even exists? Like, how do we know any of that without the Bible? See, the Bible is the foundation of our faith and the Bible is constantly uh, being attacked, okay, which makes sense. Um, people out there are always trying to dismantle our faith. And I don't know, maybe you've had friends or maybe you've had coworkers or whoever. People in your life, are, they're just like, you know what? Um, you know, I know you go to church. I know you call yourself a Christian. But what about this? What about that? What about this? Which, by the way, I think it's a good, it's a good thing. I think people should kind of push back. I think people should challenge us. I think that's good for us to think through some of this logically. And, uh, and so what people do with the Bible specifically is people say things like, well, you know, the Bible was written just by a bunch of men, right? So, you know, we could take that out and, and I don't, you know, we shouldn't trust that. And the Bible's not historically accurate. How do we know that what the Bible says is actually true? Or how do we know, I mean, can we really know that what the Bible says, like, did any of that stuff actually happen? Like, we weren't there. Okay, who's to say that it did or who's to say that it didn't? Or, hey, we don't have the original copies of the Bible, so how do we know that the Bible that we have in our hands is actually the real deal? Okay, that's a good question. And it was written over a period of, of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And besides, everything that's in the Bible is kind of outdated anyway. And so what we end up doing is we start pulling stuff out and we pull out the foundation crumbles. All right, our faith our faith crumbles, right? When you weaken the foundation of our faith, our faith cannot stand. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to answer one of the most important questions that I think people ask, and one of the most important questions I think we should ask, and that question is, why should I trust the Bible? You ever ask that question to yourself? All right, have you ever asked that question to yourself, at least at some point in the past? See, I think we should. I think this is a good thing for us to ask. And if you haven't, I think that's, I think that's a problem. I think it's good for us to ask this question, but we got to do the work in finding the answer. And that's what I think a lot of people, we just don't really do. See, some of us, we've just grown up believing the Bible. 
right? You've grown up in the church, and you've grown up um, reading the Bible, and you've grown up believing that the Bible is exactly, you know, the Word of God and God's words, and, you know, it's from God and just all that stuff. And so I think there's a lot of people out there who are like, you know what? My grandma told me to trust the Bible, so I trust the Bible. If it's good enough for grandma, it is good enough for me. And so that's just how you live your life. That's, uh, you got faith, which is, which is good, I guess, but that's not, that's not great, okay? That's not, that's not a good thing. There's no reasoning to why you believe what you believe. By the way, and for those of you that that's kind of the camp that you fall into, right, you believe the Bible, but you have no idea why you believe the Bible. Did you know that the Bible that you believe in so much says this in First Peter, yeah, First Peter, he says, hey, you need to be ready at any time. Okay, you know what any time means? That means any time. Okay, that means last week. That means this afternoon. That means a month from now. All right, at any time, we should be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason to why we believe what we believe. Right? We should, we should be ready to, to have reasons. He's saying here that we should have a reason. It shouldn't just be any reason like, well, grandma told me so, so that's what I believe. No, it should be more than that. We should have good reasons, multiple reasons, many reasons to why we believe what we believe. He says, and he specifically calls it the hope that's in us, right? It's our faith. It's the truth. He says, yeah, do this with gentleness and reverence. See, we should have reasons to why we believe what we believe. And some of us, we believe. We just don't have any reason. We don't know anything about it. And we just don't really care. I don't think that's good. Now, there's other of us, others of us out there where we feel like there's so many uncertainties about the Bible, and you're just like, man, I just got so many questions. I just don't know. Like, like how do I know that it's true? And, and you've just started kind of, because of all your questions kind of swirling around in your head, you just, you just started kind of leaning away from Christianity. And uh, you start thinking, and the, your reasoning is completely logical, okay, I'll point that out, that I can't trust Christianity because I can't trust the foundation that is built on. But the reason why you don't have answers, actually the reason why both groups of people don't have answers is because you don't want to do the work in finding the answers. Right? I just want to point that out. It's really like a laziness issue. It's, 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 we're, we're just lazy. I think all of us, we're, we're naturally prone uh, to be lazy because there are answers out there. There's so many answers out there and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Actually today we're just going to talk about a tiny fraction of the answers that we can see um, that helps build our faith and helps build the foundation of our faith, especially specifically with the Bible. Now, let's start at the beginning. Um, the Bible is a book, okay, that was written over a period of 1,600 years in three different languages by approximately uh, 40 different authors or so. And uh, this book has one theme, and that theme is God's plan to fix the problem of fallen mankind, Okay. God's plan, the theme of it is God's plan to fix our problem, okay? That's what the whole book of the Bible, that's what the whole story of the Bible is about. We see that all the way back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to, hey, someday there's a Savior, and someday God is going to fix our problem. He's going to be the Messiah, and, his, and what we're going to find out is that that's Jesus. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, and the whole New Testament is pointing back, saying, no, 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 that happened exactly what the Old Testament said, Jesus did it, all right? He fulfilled it. He accomplished it, right? And so the question that we got to ask ourselves is this. Either the Bible is truth 
or it's not. It's that simple. Either the Bible, either the Bible is all truth or it's not truth at all. Now, if the Bible is fake, okay, it, it, then I'll be the first one to say it's totally okay that you dismiss it. I would dismiss it. Right, if the Bible's fake, then who cares? Who cares what it says? I mean, unless you like to read a lot and you're all about reading, which might be you. That's not me. I don't like reading at all, actually. Um, but uh, if, that's, if that's you, then you could go ahead and read and, you know, do whatever you want with it. But it's just out of curiosity. You know, the, the opinions of these guys, if the Bible's fake, I mean, don't really matter because their opinions are just as valid as your opinions. And when you disagree, your opinion can win out. Like, that's totally cool because it's your life. But the question is, if the Bible's actually from God, man, we better pay attention to it, right? Then we should probably read it. One of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible happens to kind of deal with the subject, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, We talked about this verse a whole lot here at Grace, actually. Um, This is what it says. It says, all scripture, okay, all scripture, the whole Bible, the whole thing. He says, is inspired by God. Now, the word inspired, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this. It literally means God breathed, okay? So he's saying, hey, the whole Bible, Old Testament through the New Testament, the whole Bible is God breathed, meaning God breathed out these words. It's like his breath is on these words, like he's talking to us. And not only is it God breathed, he says it's also profitable. So it's useful, he's saying. Right, so, so these words are from God, and these words are God-given, but it's also given for a godly purpose. And so it's useful for, for our lives. And he specifically gets down, and he says it's useful, for example, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Meaning it is useful for us. See, that's the best part right there. It's knowing that God inspired the Bible, that the Bible is not like some man's idea. They were like, hey, we really need to help God out here. Like, uh, like somehow we need to communicate God's, you know, God's word, so let's, do, let's, let's make the Bible. That'll be really good. That's not what happened, all right? This was not man's idea. This was God's idea. And so that's really the foundation, or at least that's like the starting blocks of why we can believe the Bible. Number one, the Bible says that it is from God, okay? You got to at least start there. Right, that the Bible at least says, they, oh, no, no, this is uh, the word of God, and these, these words are actually from God. And so that's something we could start building our faith on and building the foundation of our faith that the words in this book were literally breathed out by God. But I think the biggest question that I think most of us have or most people have is that we look at this book and we think to ourselves, all right, so I see all these words in here, and that's sure, the, you know, the Bible says that it's from God, and that might be true or false, and we'll, we'll figure that out. But, um, but how do I know that, that this is what was originally written? You ever ask that question? Or at least you ever wonder about it? How do you know that it's actually what was originally written? Like, is it even possible to have any type of confidence that what you're holding in your hand is at all accurate? Like, think about it. Even if God did inspire this book 2,000 years ago or, or you know, 3,000 years ago or whenever this book was actually written by, the, by that certain author, right, maybe it was inspired back then. How do we know it's still inspired today? How do we know it hasn't changed? That's a legitimate question. Actually, that's a really good question. I mean, think about it. This book was copied by hand. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Actually, parts of the Bible, it was copied by thousands and thousands of years. 
Like, hasn't this been rewritten so many times that, I don't know, it's like impossible to know? I mean, let's face it. The Bible has had a long time to get off track. It's kind of like the game of telephone. You guys remember that game? Like in uh, elementary school or whatever? Okay, thank you. Um, I was like, I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to stare at him. Okay. So um, the game of telephone, you know how that works. You're in elementary school. I specifically remember playing, you know, doing this in, in school. Um, and so the teacher, what would the teacher do? they line you all up in a line. The teacher would give a sentence to the first person and say, hey, you know, here's a sentence. That person would whisper into the ear of the next person. That person would whisper into the ear of the next person. That person would whisper into the ear of the next person and go all the way down the line until the last person would tell the class the exact message or the sentence that they heard, and it would always be different. You know what I'm talking about? And it's interesting. Usually it was always some punk kid in the middle of the line who would just switch all up on purpose. And so what our teacher would have to do is our teacher would have to bribe us, saying, hey, if you guys get this right, like I want you to really try this. If you guys get this right, then, uh, then you'll get some extra recess. You'll get something like that. And so we'd like try really hard. And so it'd go all the way down the line. And even so, we could not get it right. Like any time. It just, I don't know, it just didn't happen. At the end, there's always some parts that were gone and some parts that were added. And not only were the words different, but the meaning seemed to be different every time as well. How do we know that didn't happen with the Bible? I mean, do we have the original manuscripts? No. No way. The Bible was originally written on things like this thing called like papyrus paper type stuff. That was turned to dust within like 100 years of it being written. Um, it just didn't last unless it was in an extremely dry climate, which is very, very, very rare. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Some things did um, survive, but they weren't or the originals. Um, but uh, but that, that just disintegrated over time. And so it's an important thing to ask. How do we know that these, this copy of a 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 copy and so far down the line, how do we know this is authentic? Now, we can test that. And you can test that by really asking two different questions. The first question is, how early is the earliest copy? Okay? It's kind of like the game of telephone. If this at the end of, is the end of the line, we want to see how far down the line, because the closer to the original kid or the original message, the closer we get, the better. Does that make sense? Okay, how close is the original copy or how early is the earliest copy? And then the next question is, how many copies do we have? So the first one is, hey, what's the kind of quality of ancient manuscripts that we can find? And the second one is, how, what, what's the quantity? And so it's both quality and quantity. And what we can do is we can compare the New Testament against other ancient writings. So this is what we're going to do here this morning. Um, this is going to be a little complicated, so stick with me. All right? You guys got it? Yeah. You ready? Okay, this is what I want you to do. Um, picture the stage as a scale, all right? Let's say uh, this isn't like any certain amount of time, but let's say as further on down the stage, um, there years and years grow. I don't know if that even made sense, but uh, just picture, I'll explain it in a second. Let's say the original document, whenever it was written in history, doesn't really matter, was written on year one, okay, or year zero. Let's call it year zero. And then um, the farther we get down, maybe every big step, it's like 100 years or so further down the line. Because, again, these all ancient documents were written on, like, papyrus and stuff like that. Again, those, none of those existed, and none of those existed very long after they were written anyway. And so let's picture that, and let's compare some uh, famous writings. So first one, let's look at uh, Aristotle. You guys heard of Aristotle? Yeah. Probably a good guy. I'd never... 
I don't know. I don't know him at all. Um, he wrote The Organon. I know a lot of you guys, this is some really good reading and on your nightstands at home, I'm sure. Um, the Organon was written, oh, let's see, when was that written? It was written in 340 B.C. The earliest copy that we have, again, this is going to get a little complicated. Focus, okay. The earliest copy that we have was, is, was written in around 1100 A.D., so basically, if Aristotle wrote the Organon here in 340 BC, um, it was copied and 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 copied off of a copy all the way to around the earliest manuscripts that we have is about 1,500 years after the original was written. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the, that's the quality portion. And there was... Five, we have five copies of around that, um, around that time period, okay? So we got five copies around 1,500 years, writ, you know, throughout the telephone game, you know, after the original was written of the Organon, um, Aristotle's work. Now, Julius Caesar, uh, we have uh, the history of the Gallic Wars. Uh, Julius Caesar wrote this work in 50 B.C. The earliest copy we have is around um, 1,000 A.D., and so that's around um, 900, or actually that's around uh, 1,000 years after the original was written. So you got Julius Caesar. He writes about the history of the Gallic Wars. That's awesome. He goes, he goes, he is copied, 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 until around 1,000 years later, somebody wrote a copy that somebody here this day and age dug up, and we have at, probably at some museum or somewhere someday, we actually have nine copies from around this time period. All right, so that's a thousand years difference. We don't have any of the copies and copies of copies that is, is in between, but that's our earliest copy. Now, Homer's the Iliad. How many of you guys had to read the Iliad for school or anything like that? Okay, a couple of you guys. I never did. So thankful about that because uh, I don't know, it's just not my thing. So the Iliad, pretty big thing. Um, Homer, a pretty famous guy. The Iliad was written in around 800 BC. The earliest copy we have was, is around 250 A.D. So again, that's very similar to Julius Caesar's work. Um, that's around 1,000 years after the original was written. And so in between, um, the, in between when Homer wrote it originally to when we've, the earliest manuscripts that we found, around that, that time frame, it was all copied. And we have around 650 copies of the Iliad from around this time period. So that's a lot more. I mean, can we see the difference? That's way more. Compared to nine and compared to five, which is 500 years later, right, we have 650 copies. That's around 70 times more authentic than the other two. It's a pretty big deal, right? And those are famous works. Now, let me just point out, there is no secular scholar and there's no historian that ever doubts the authenticity of any of these works. Nobody does. It's like, well, yeah, this is, this is history. This is fact. Nobody questions it. Now, the question that we should have as Christians is, well, I don't know. How does the New Testament compare to that? Now, the New Testament was written by the year 90 A.D. Remember, Jesus died around 33 A.D., and so this is roughly around 60 years after Jesus died. Because remember, the New Testament is written by people who knew Jesus or by people who are with the people who knew Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. 
All right, and so all 27 books were written by the year um, 90 A.D., and um, the earliest copies that we have found is around 900 years after they were written, we have around 5,800 copies of the New Testament in Greek. Now, Greek was the original language that the New Testament was written in, and, uh, and so that's a lot. By the way, the time period in between the Iliad, the, the, the first, you know, our earliest copies of the Iliad and our earliest copies of the Bible, right, 100 years. Okay, so this is a century difference right here. So this is a century closer to when the New Testament was originally written, but instead of 650 copies or nine copies or five copies, we have 5,800 manuscripts, 5,800 copies. I mean, it blows everything else out of the water. Now, the New Testament wasn't just written in Greek. I mean, originally it was, but then it was translated and copied into other languages. One of the other languages was Latin, okay? That was kind of one of the main languages back then in that day or that grew into um, one of the main languages. Uh, we have over 10,000 copies, manuscripts. This is all archaeology that has been found in, in Latin, of the New Testament in Latin. Over 10,000. I mean, just crazy, around this same time period, around 100 years before the Iliad. All right, on top of that, the New Testament is written in a whole bunch of other languages, and uh, you put all the other languages combined out of, you know, except for Greek and Latin, uh, you have another 10,000 copies that have been found through archaeology. All right, as you can see, it doesn't compare. It took me forever to find the paper in town to be able to do this here today. So I was running around yesterday, all right? Don't go to Walmart. I took it all. Um, but, I mean, can you see the difference? This, 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 all right? And there's a century of difference. This is all more authentic when you just, if you're just comparing it to time. It's more authentic when you compare it to quantity, obviously, and quality, both ways. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy. And so we can look at this and we say, well, okay, wow, that's pretty intense, all right? That's a lot of manuscripts. That's a lot of copies that we have unearthed through archaeology. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And what we can start doing is we can start building our faith off that. But they have found earlier pieces. And so let's say 300 years, all right? There's a whole bunch, and I can't go through them all. Let's say 300 years after the original New Testament was written. And what they have? We have two complete New Testaments, two of them, right? 300 years. I mean, this is getting close to like, you know, a, just a couple lifetimes difference uh, of people. Not only that, but we also have found um, 200 years after the original, we have half the New Testament written down. Okay, we got books like uh, Matthew, let's see, um, yeah, Matthew, Mark, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, Hebrews, and Titus, okay? They all have, that was copies that were written within 200 years after the original. Not only that, 100 years or within 100 years of the original New Testament being written, they have just tiny little fragments and so they got a fragment, a piece of Matthew 21 that they found. Uh, they've found a piece of Revelation 1. And one of the most famous ones, they found a piece of John 18, which was actually found in Egypt. And so uh, this is called P52, which is 
Papyrus 52. And um, this is one that uh, it's just a portion of, in Greek, of, of John 18 that was found within 100 years of John writing it. I mean, it's pretty crazy. In fact, uh, it's interesting because German, um, there's a lot of German scholars back in the, uh, in the early 1800s who really argued that, hey, John in the Bible isn't actually written by the, by the disciple John. Uh, this couldn't be. That was actually written hundreds of years later and just posed as the disciple John, just all this stuff until archaeology started becoming like a major thing and they started finding all these fragments everywhere and they're like, oh, that just blew up like 200 years of German scholars, you know, just put them out of business, you know, just from finding some of these things. It's also interesting that John 18 was found all the way in Egypt within 100 years of it been originally written by the real guy, John, right, who wrote that back in Ephesus, most likely, which is northern Asia. And so within 100 years, not only was that, um, that cop, not only was John at least copied and then copied and then copied and copied, but also traveled to like other continents and stuff, which would put the original John written, well, during the life of John, ironically. And so that's what archaeology shows us, and the evidence is just so overwhelming. Actually, the New Testament is so much more authentic than Homer's The Iliad or Julius Caesar's History of the Gallic Wars or Aristotle's The Organon. I mean, it just doesn't even compare. Like, it's just so much different. There's something different about this book, something miraculously different. And you know what's crazy? Is that these books of the Bible that have been found that were copied 200 years after the original, uh, this John 18, Matthew 21, Revelation 1, these little fragments that are found, virtually identical to what you have at home today. It's just, uh, virtually identical to your translation here today. And so knowing that, what we could start doing is we could start picking up the pieces of our faith, we could start putting it back together. All right, we could start building off that. You know why? Because we have such a strong foundation in the Bible. What's crazy is that we're still finding pieces. It's not like archaeology has just stopped. All right, they're still finding pieces. In fact, one of the most famous discoveries that they found uh, decades ago, you guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm assuming a lot of people have at least heard that if you don't know what that is. Um, that's just where uh, they found a bunch of scrolls in a cave um, in a desert, okay, um, in, near Qumran. And, um, and so that was found uh, and excavated in the 40s and 50s. And what they found in there is they found the whole Old Testament in there. Well, almost the whole Old Testament. They found all the Old Testament books except for Esther. We don't know what's up with that, but they just didn't have that copy. And uh, a lot of the books, there's just copies of books. In fact, there were 19 copies of the book of Isaiah. There were 30 copies of the book of Psalms, and it's interesting that, uh, that the, when the earliest copies that we had before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually written around 900 A.D. Some of the Dead Sea Scrolls were written around 200 B.C., and so there's about a thousand years difference between what we previously thought that we had, the earliest writings that we had on hand, and then the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's kind of like we got to go a thousand years back in history, a thousand years of the telephone game with God's words, and then you know what they did? Compared them to each other. And so they took the book of Isaiah, for example. Again, there's like 19 copies um, in the Dead, among the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
And they took the book of Isaiah and said, okay, here's Isaiah. A thousand years of the telephone game. Let's compare that to the Isaiah that we have that was written around 900 AD. And you know what they found? They found 17 letters were different than what, than what we had today. Right? 17 letters were different than, than what they had in 900 AD. And 10 of those were spellings, um, spelling differences in proper names. Okay, four of them were they combined two words together. It's called a conjunction, I think. English people, okay, all right, I see some, yeah, all right. Um, so four of them were they combined two words together and they made them conjunctions, which weren't in some of the others. And then uh, three of the differences was they added the word light in three different times in places like, I forget what, I should have looked this up, I forget what chapter and verse it was in Isaiah, but uh, something like, hey, I opened my eyes and I see. Right? And they added, I open up my eyes and I see light. Okay? It doesn't change the meaning whatsoever. Right? The meaning was not changed. And so we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and we look at something like that and look at that archaeology. And what can we do? Well, we can start picking up the pieces of our faith and say, wow, man, I could build my faith off this. Like, this is a pretty big deal. This stuff is authentic. I mean, it's, it, it, it's for real. See, the Bible is reliable. And the Bible is unbelievably authentic. Actually, there's this guy named Bruce Metzger who, uh, who actually died in the 90s, but he was, he was one of the most leading, maybe the most, most well-known New Testament scholar when it came to uh, the formation of the Bible and when it came to um, ancient manuscripts, stuff that every single one of us probably in here would find unbelievably boring. And, uh, but this guy was all into it. And once he was asked this question, the question went like this. It said, all these decades of scholarship, of study, and of writing textbooks, and of delving into the minutia of the New Testament text, what has all this done to your personal faith? And so the question that this person is asking, saying, hey, man, um, you know, you've been all in to all these manuscripts. Like, you know where the holes are. You know how this stuff has came about. You know all about this stuff, maybe more than anybody else in the world. How has that affected your faith? Has that grown your faith and encouraged your faith? Or has that taken away from your faith? And now you got some more questions. Like, what, what has that done? And this is what the guy answered. This is what Dr. Metzger said. He says, man, it has built it. He's saying, it's built my faith. He says, I've asked questions all my life, and I've dug into the text, and I've studied this thoroughly, and today I know with confidence that my trust in Jesus has been well-placed, very well-placed. See, for me, I think the biggest reason why people don't um, like the Bible or choose not to trust the Bible is not because they don't believe in it. It's not because there's no evidence that, oh, you know, I don't know, you can, you know, about the Bible. It's not because of that. It's because the Bible's intrusive. And the Bible's offensive. Like, if you're a Christian, you know that. Okay? Because, I mean, the Holy Spirit has, has punched you in the soul a few times. You know what I'm talking about? All right? That's, that's what the Bible does. The Bible shows us all the junk in our life. The Bible shows us what's wrong with us. That's what it does. Right? Now, that doesn't jive well in our culture. In fact, the only sin in our culture is telling anybody else that they're sinning, okay? That's the one thing that you, like, can't do. See, when you read stuff in the Bible and you think to yourself, you're like, mm, I don't like that. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think that's for today. I don't think God's talking to me there. You know what you're doing? I mean, think about it. What kind of God would you serve if everything that he says had to run through the, the filter of you, right? I mean, think about this logically. 
What kind of God would you serve if everything that he says had to run through the filter of you? Like, you don't even agree with you 10 years ago. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you think the king of the universe needs advice from you or needs to agree with you? Like, you didn't even pass the fifth grade. You had to take that twice. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like we're messed up. See, here's the deal. God breathed this. Right? God breathed this. This is his, his words to us. And it applies to every culture. And it, pl- it applies to every time period. From ancient Egypt to ancient Rome to Tiffin here in 2022. See, it's timeless. It's the way God did it. God is timeless. And you want to know God? Man, you need to know his words. See, that's why every week here at Grace, we're all about the Bible. That's why we dive into the Bible every single week. Which, by the way, let me just point out, this shouldn't be the church, you know, Sunday morning, should not be the only time that you get Bible in your week, okay? That should not happen. That should not be. That is not good for you. You should be diving into the Bible. You should be reading the Bible, even if it's just a little bit. You should be reading the Bible on a daily basis because it should matter to you. Okay, because you should want to. You should want to know what God has to say. And so I'm just telling you, like, this shouldn't be the only time that you get fed from the Bible on a weekly basis. And on top of that, also I just want to say that the Bible is, is the foundation of everything that we believe. And if uh, you, you know, it, churches are leaving the Bible all over the place, right? Different churches, different denominations. I mean, what happens is they read something, they go, you know what? I don't really like that. Or what, what a lot of people do is they pick and choose the things out of the Bible that they like, and they throw the, the things in the Bible that they don't like. They throw those things away, and what they end up doing is they kind of create their own faith. They create their own copy of the Bible, in, the, in a sense. And, uh, and that's not good either. See, when we don't have the Bible, and the, when the Bible's not the anchor, when the Bible's not our foundation to what we believe, then we start veering off. We start leaning because our foundation is not strong. And we see that in churches all around us. We see that in denominations of churches all around us. And I'll just say this, because this won't happen on my watch. I can promise you that. But if our church ever stops teaching from the Bible, or if our church ever stops teaching something that's, that's not in the Bible, or ever starts teaching something that's not in the Bible, teaches something other than the Bible, then I'm telling you, you should leave and don't come back. Because the Bible is everything. In fact, something that we say all the time, we just say, it's the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. It's the only thing that we can trust. It's the truth. And when we don't look at truth or when we don't stand on the truth, we start veering off course and we start leaning. See, I think somebody who understood this maybe the best even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is a guy named David. He was king. David was not perfect in any ways. Um, he wrote part of the book that we call Psalms. And uh, we actually found, again, 30 copies of this book in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, but, uh, but one of the things in Psalm chapter 119, and this whole chapter is all about, ironically, the Bible, it seems like. And this is what David writes. He says, my soul is crushed with longing for your ordinances at all times. Here's David. He's just like, man, I just love your word. I can't get enough of Scripture. I can't get enough of what you have to say. Like, have you ever felt that way about God's words? Probably not most of us. Let me put it in terms that I think every single one of us can understand or most of us can understand. Have you ever been addicted to a Netflix show? 
You know what I'm talking about? Okay, we're all like, oh, yeah, all right, hitting home. Okay, and you know how it is, right? All right, you're sitting there, and it's late at night, and say you're watching with your husband or your wife or your friend or whoever. I don't even care. You know, it doesn't matter. And you're sitting there, and you're watching it, and then the show ends, and what do you do? Look at the time. And you start going, oh, I should have been in bed 10 minutes ago. I got to get up early in the morning. I got to work. I got to do this. I got to do that. And you're just like, uh. And then what do you do? You look over at your wife and you're like, eh, one more. You know, and what's Netflix doing? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And you're like, oh, I got to decide. You're like, okay, one more. All right, let's do this. They kind of leave you on a cliffhanger. You're like, I got to know. All right, you're like longing to see the next episode. You're longing to find out what happens next. David is saying, he's like, hey, that's what I have for the Bible. So, man, I just can't put this thing down. I should go to bed. <laughs> but I have to read more. I have to know. I, I just can't get enough. Let me just read a little bit more. David, he goes on to say things like, in the next verses later, he says, I delight in your commands, which I love. He's like, I just can't get away. I just love your words so much. He says, how I love your instruction is my meditation all day long. He's like, I just can't get them out of my head. I can't think about it. I keep thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. all this stuff that you have to say. He says, how sweet your word is to my taste. It's just so good. I love it so much. It's sweeter than honey in my mouth. He says, your word, that's what guides me. And that's what I can trust in. He says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. This is what keeps me from leaning. It's your word. It's the foundation of my life. And so the reality is, guys, we hold a miracle in our hands. That's what this is. Look at it. All right, there's nothing that even compares. This had to have been God. And that is something that we can build our faith on. That's something that we can use and we can build and we can build and we can build and we can make our faith stronger and we can make our faith higher and we can, we can trust in that our foundation is so strong and that our foundation will not waver. And we won't lean from one side or the other because our foundation doesn't compare with anything else. Right, the Bible is so authentic, it doesn't even compare. Right, it's so reliable. It's overwhelmingly reliable. And God tells us that it's useful. It's good for us. And so what's my challenge this week? Read it. Obviously, we should read it. And when we're reading it, we should remember that we can read it and trust in it with confidence. It's something we can build our life on. That the Bible is not only from God when it was originally written, but man, God has kept it safe and miraculously hasn't changed. Something we could trust in. Let's pray. God, we thank you. For these words, Lord, you did not have to, you did not owe us to reveal yourself really in any way, but this is how you chose to do it. And God, we thank you for that. We have something to build, we have a, a strong foundation that we can build off of. And that's all because of you. God, we ask that uh, you would help us to read it. Some of us, I mean, life just gets so busy and we have all these things and going on in our life and the Bible a lot of times just kind of gets put on the back burner and we go to bed at night and, and, and we spend the day, you know, where it's just like, oh, yeah, I meant to do that. But, God, we help us. God, we need your help. 
Help us to get in your word. Help us to get to, to develop that longing that, that David seems to have. Where we just love it so much, we're thinking about it so much, just, we're just in connection with you. Building our relationship with you. And God, we thank you for that so much. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that we can trust it. We thank you for the overwhelming amount of evidence that you have given us to, to comfort us and to give us confidence that what we're reading is true. We thank you again. In Jesus' name.